1: Welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And to end the show, huge guests. two of my buddies from the band Always, Molly and Alec are here today, and these are my buds, these are my pals, this is a fun one, we've hit the road together, we've, we've done those highways well, actually we only went on one tour That was a long time ago They got way more famous since then But more on that in one second But first If you'd like to get in touch with me Head over to the email address Turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com That is run by my brother And show producer And guest booker Extraordinaire Tristan Abraham Thank you Tristan for all the hard work you do And he will get the message to me You can find me on Twitter or Instagram Or I guess X And Instagram At lefforddamian. Probably should start a Threads account now, huh? There's also a YouTube page, a a Facebook page, a TikTok page, and an Instagram page, all for Turned Out of Punk. And all can be found at Turned Out of Punk on those platforms. I play in a band, the one I mentioned off the top that we're on tour with always called Fucked Up. We will be going on tour in Europe if you're listening to this when it drops. And uh, you can find out more information about that over at fuckedup.cc. We have a brand new 7-Inch Out Show Friends. It's not about Always. Definitely not about always. Uh, it's a mean song. That's what I'm saying. It's not about always. And uh, there's uh, more information about that over there on that website as well. So head on over there and figure it out. And hopefully I'll see you in Europe at some of those shows. Playing with Off, playing with Donald Jr., Bob Mould, Collapse. bunch of cool bands. All right, on to today's show. As I said off the top, my buddies, my pals from the band always Alec and Molly are here they are people that I've known for as I said a very long time because we went on tour years ago like their first record they were already amazing by that point but they have gone and become one of the one of the best bands in Canada you know they were probably one of the best bands in Canada back then too but like they've got even better a better band in Canada a bigger band an international band now they're they're very popular all over the world as illustrated by the fact that that if you're listening to this podcast, when it does come out, you can go over there to uh, always, I think it's just always with two V's, always.com and find out all their tour dates, but they're going to be in like Mexico city. Then they're going to like Taiwan, Singapore, Indonesia, Japan, Australia, probably New Zealand, Yep, New Zealand, Hawaii. So head over there and find out all those tour dates and check out their latest record. It is Blue Rev, which is out on the great polyvinyl records. And you can find out more information, once again, at that all always, always with two Vs instead of a W.com. And yeah, as I said, we went on tour. I, we were huge fans of them and fucked up back then. And seeing them on that tour, you knew they were destined for great things. and Far bigger things than playing shows for us, with us. And that has become been borne out. I got to... Get on stage with them. They did a Queen of Hearts cover for an encore one time, and I went out there, and as I met the dead eyes of the audience having no idea or no interest in who I was, I realized, you keep going, kids. You've you've eclipsed me at this point, and uh, it's been awesome to watch, as I say. They keep putting out great records, though. We were listening to them and the Dolly Mixtures back-to-back the other day, and it was like... Very cool to see a band that has that kind of influence go to the, a sense that they have. Uh, I'm not gonna ramble on anymore. Uh, check out that new record. Check them out on tour, and then sit back, relax, or or sit back and relax, and then do all that other stuff, and enjoy Molly and Alec. Unturned out a punk. Alec, Molly, thank you for coming on the show
2: hi Damien
1: yo this has been uh, a long time uh to happen like we talked about doing this years ago
2: yeah I mean I feel like the last time I saw you was at the Danforth
1: it was and, then, and it was, I was like I was thinking like I'm like well you know minus the pandemic that's not that long ago but then I went to pick up my youngest child who's now like a seven-year-old adult and I'm like oh yeah that was a very long time ago because I had him on stage as a baby
2: I think I was on your shoulders too at one point.
1: Yes. Yeah, you, you got on my shoulders. We had a that was wild. Like that was my first time on stage at the Danforth and growing up in the neighborhood. And it was also this moment where I realized, like, yep, always is in that elite club of bands that open for fucked up that have now eclipsed us many times over. And and, and you've grown since then too. So also congratulations on all the success. Not true. Come on. No, it's Get out you know, here. It's an elite club. Like, I feel like Gallows in England, uh, Waves, uh, Kurt Vile, Yourselves. I know there's someone I'm forgetting right now, too. But there's been a few. There's been a few that I I feel like, you know, like I I was thinking about this today. I think one of the shows that I hope goes down in Always History is the uh, Always Fucked Up Shit Show at the Horseshoe Tavern. Because I think that's going to be one of those great things in the in the run of shows that you have, where you're sandwiched, kind of a, like almost a literal uh, fuck shit sandwich. Actually,
2: what? Yeah, because you had um the band shit who was yeah. playing first, and then the like the guy came downstairs and was like, "Has anyone seen shit?"
3: <laughs> yeah, it's all over the walls, dude.
2: <laughs> because they weren't they weren't there and. He couldn't get this, like the sound check going, and everything was a big disaster. But that, it was a shit yeah. show, exactly. Yeah, it was the middle of the day, too.
3: Yeah, the show I most remember from that tour is the Sudbury Garage Show. Do you remember that one? And absolutely. there was absolutely a free range anaconda worming around <laughs> in the house, which is where the washroom was. It was do, do you know what the deal was with that? Was he circus adjacent or?
1: I have no idea. Like it's one of those situations when I and I'm sure someone has subsequently come up and told me that that house has become like much like shit too. Also, like uh, somewhat legendary all these years later because, yeah, that was a weird one. <laughs> it was such a it was a really fun show, but it's one of those shows that you know like when you have that drive right across Canada, there's gonna be something between. uh manitoba and ontario or in in parts of ontario that's going to be it's going to be a weird show that's going to stand out forever in your memory yeah
3: deep canadian shield strangeness that fit <laughs> the bill
1: very yeah, i
2: remember like sitting outside the garage in our van looking at everything and we were like oh we're not going to get through all the inputs how are we going to hear anything this is going to be <laughs> crazy and we were so stressed out and sandy was like you guys need to relax that's
1: what i do think that we the good thing about going on tour with fucked up is and i tell this to bands to this day it's it's like listen it's not going to be glamorous and it and there's probably going to be parts of it that really do suck but you're going to come out of it a harder person than you went into it
2: (laughs) oh my god
1: sage advice
3: yeah (laughs) real character builders Um, i like to think that
1: we, we we were a small uh a small brick in the house that is always, you know.
2: Actually, you guys were the first band to take us on tour, I think.
3: Yep, yeah, that was our first proper tour. Thank yeah. thank you for doing that. Dame.
1: well this you know what we got to move on because this is now becoming uh far too uh, about me right now so but i do appreciate that and i take that well, on we, with a bit of pride we can
3: talk about your bandmates too i mean oh, then, mike was showing up to uh soundcheck in pajama pants and stuff and that was a revelation to us like uh and then he would play the show in those same pj pants yes um, and uh it was such a cool i don't know y- you were into a world of wrestling and cannabis that um was new to us uh but we were happy to you know sort of like soak it all in it was a wild pan canadian ride
1: it was it was a really fun tour that i look back on very fondly and like even then you know you guys already had momentum at that point and it was already pretty clear that you know this was going to be something in terms of a, a band i feel really lucky to kind of see it early on like that too and just like the songs like just like the songs every night, just like watching, like win over audiences and people that were like, you know, maybe, maybe not as into melody, and then to see them kind of like won over by these songs, it's like, yeah, this is this is going to be something.
2: Yeah, I'm sure there were a few people who were not pleased that we were, the opening act.
1: <laughs> well, you got a better reception than Kurt Vile did on on that tour. Oh. <laughs> Definitely. Some guy. Oh, uh, it was awesome though. He, he, he rolled with it and not that Kurt wasn't a harder person going into things than, than maybe myself, but I think, you know, he came out of it a little more, uh, a little more seasoned in terms of dealing with shitty crowds. Grizzled. Grizzled. Yeah,
2: everyone has to learn. Um, I feel like we spent so much time being an opening band that you learn that, no, uh, that no one really cares about you and, and sometimes they do. And that's a bonus. But, you you know, just, you just kind of learn the ways of, um, of not caring and then you get, you're done once you're finished your set and you can just do whatever you want. It's like pretty low pressure. Yeah. It's
3: important to learn that game of like what touring is and that is how little can you complain. Uh, and we, we learned that early, not, not, not to say there weren't, um, accoutrements on that run, but, um. Yeah, you guys took a chance on us, you know. Uh, to your credit, um, and uh, we we were deeply grateful and still are that you did.
1: Well, we're probably not going to get to this tour today because we got to go way back in time now, and I got to start this off the way they really start off on this show. And I'm going to pick a number and I'm going to write it down. And normally I would show you this number, but we don't have the camera going. But like, I will I will write down this number and promise you that I'm not going to change it. And I'm going to ask you to pick between a number of 1 and 10 to see who goes first with my next question. So I've got the number written down on my hand right now. Molly, what's your choice of number? Three. Okay. Alec, what's your choice of number? Uh, seven. Four is the number I've, I've written down on my hand, and I would show you, but you're going to have to trust me on this one. So, Molly, how would you get into Punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across it?
2: Oh, it's when I first picked up a fiddle in Cape Breton. <laughs> and uh, I mean, yeah, I I'm uh, slightly afraid to be on this podcast because I really don't have any punk roots or really any historical reference to, you know, what, how punk became what it is. So
0: I, I, but um, I don't think that's that, that's
1: not the point of this podcast. And I've heard you talk about the primitives. I've heard you talk about Lush. I've heard you talk about cleaners from Venus. I've ter- I've heard you talk about deep cut shit on on stuff and uh as long as it affected you and no matter what you know w- in what way or what bands like then then your experience in is valid and you're part of this punk rock tapestry
2: thank you thanks for saying that um yeah i mean the first time i heard rock music like i mean the first time i heard the ramones and uh and then you know i just kind of got into bands like the replacements and shop assistants and dolly mixture and um they you know there are those bands are many things um but they're punk was, to me oh yeah okay <laughs> yeah i mean like there are many different ways of being punk i guess mm. um but yeah and then i just got into more music that was challenging and and um, kind of outside of my scope of, well, you know, what I was listening to, which is pretty much the radio until I was probably 18.
1: But where would you hear like those bands? Because that's like, you know, maybe the Vaseline's because Nirvana covered them. But all those other ones are, are deep cut, certainly in, in North America.
2: Well, I moved to Prince Edward Island when I was probably 19. And I had all these pals that were Alex pals. And, you know, they would send me songs the same way friends just share stuff with each other and um and actually the first time i really heard the dolly mixture was when i went to the old sonic boom location and uh and found a compilation everything and and more and i pretty much that became my bible for for so long just listening to all the different drum arrangements and and they were pop songs but those girls were cool
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, those those records are are perfect. You know, like, um, I don't even know where we even first heard them because it's, it's one of those things that, like, unless you found the record, and now a few years on, I think they've gotten a little bit more of a sort of a, a, a cultural kind of love to them over here. But, like, it was something that you had to kind of search out.
2: Yeah, I mean, even now, just finding any type of hard copy of what what they've done is pretty competitive <laughs> yeah, and, and scarce, but my brother actually sent me a vinyl um, demonstration tapes and um, like an OG. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, I, I mean, it, yeah, I, I think so. It's, it, it's in really nice condition, but I I just couldn't believe that wow. he did that. It was like the sweetest thing. And um, yeah, I think that's, I mean, what else i
1: well, because you kind of, you obviously, you know, you, you, like where we're from, you, you grew up in music royalty. Was that like stifling to you in the early years? Like, like, and I imagine when the band starts going and when you start doing music, I, like I talked to Hank Williams the Third one time, you know, not, <laughs> not, not for the podcast, but I met him, right? And I've always been fascinated by him and his kind of rejection of this preordained musical journey that he was supposed to go on. maybe he would have been more commercially successful doing that but like he didn't like it he didn't want to do it and the rankin family is kind of like you know that kind of level of royalty in canada when it comes to music like was was this sort of you finding a different path like was there pressure to kind of like go a different way like you mentioned picking up the fiddle
2: yeah i mean that was my whole life was going to square dances and playing at Kaylee's. Uh, Same with Carrie. Really. We, we just did that our whole childhood. But I think if I did that, it would have been the easiest path to take, mm-hmm. Uh, which isn't appealing to me. So, and, and also like when I lost my father and just for context, like he passed away when I was 12 and he was my fiddle mentor, but it, it I felt like I was just trying to retrace his steps or maybe, like, play the way that he played. And it really got into my head and started overthinking everything. And it just became a lot of pressure for me. And, and then I became sort of like this sign of life for people who were very much missing his playing. And I thought that was a ton of pressure, like... And so, um, and so basically, i I just went in a different direction. I started just writing songs when I had all this time at home alone and playing, you know, oasis chords on guitar. Uh, <laughs> and then i I just sort of kept doing that and I would play at our school and and that felt like I was carving my own path rather than just doing something that people expected for, you know, for me to do.
1: Do you have love for that kind of music still? Like is that something you can go back to and and listen to kind of uninhibited uninhibited listen I don't know if that makes sense. Like you like, uh, like like listen to that music kind of like you know in the same way you'd listen to other music you enjoy.
2: Yeah, I mean I hear it now and it's I love it. I think it's really beautiful and and pure and and really describes an era of of music that I feel like is a big part of a lot of people's childhoods. And even today, like, I mean, I was in Prince Edward Island this week and someone was just like cranking Mull River shuffle beside me. And it was so funny. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they did really, the Rankin family really did leave a mark on a lot of people.
3: Yeah. They were like over in PEI, the sound of the summer when you were a kid, like, uh, I don't know if it was particular to the Maritimes, um, but that was just indelible childhoodhood formative memories, and that got sort of wrapped up with what it meant to like be free and you know on the beach or in the woods. Uh, in Carrie and Molly's case, and uh, it it kind of took like this outpost being the Maritimes and and connected it to a larger thread. Um, so you, you felt like you, you had some roots and were uh attached to something that wasn't just like, you know, a piddly little island.
1: Yeah, like growing up, I, I was knew the Rankin family and, and recognized songs and would hear it and it's it's like I don't know, because it wasn't necessarily played on much music. Well, they they did have videos on much music, right?
2: Well, I think there were different like I think CMT would have been probably where they would have been played, but that was the one of the things with the Rankin family is that they are the genre that they operated in was such a w- world that no one really knew how to uh, market. Yeah, I guess you would say. So it, they were just sort of this anomaly. and they they definitely infiltrated like a lot of different places, but also, I think it was really difficult for them. I mean, they sold like CDs and tapes out of their the trunks of their cars for years and years.
1: So, yeah, was there any self-releasing stuff at that point? Like, it is kind of like a – like, it's interesting when you think of this sort of Canadian music industry, but it's such a huge country, and it's really, like, very few bands, and mainly, mainly from, like, a Toronto, uh, that kind of were in it at that point. Like, outside of there, it seems like it was a lot more – like you're saying, uh, you're selling records out of the trunk of your car. You're, like, a DIY artist.
2: I mean, very much so. I think they really came from very little and worked extremely hard uh before they had support to kind of operate at the level that they eventually did but it's pretty wild what what they did without really anyone or any representation
3: yeah they'd be you know setting up their own shows promoting that themselves your mom would be you know as you said selling discs and tapes out of the trunk of your car and uh you know the they'd enlist like a brother to do sound and just like set up at whatever local hall, you know, it, it, it was kind of a template. Um, uh, you know, a lot of the punk shows in Prince Edward Island were at these Cayley halls, like these benevolent Irish society or whatever. So there was this sort of, um, mutual, uh, margin sort of that, uh, supported non-commercial, uh, stuff in the Maritimes at least.
1: Well, and uh, I guess now, Alec, I want to ask you, because, you know, Pi is the one place that I don't know, like, practically anything about punk from, so how'd you get into punk, Alec? Uh,
3: Same way as Molly, like, it would have been, you know, you're at the mercy of FM radio and much music out there growing up in the 90s or whatever, Um, so it would have been through the gateway punk, like, stuff that isn't really that at all, like... I don't know, like Monkey Wrench by the Foo Fighters mm-hmm. or something. You know, that's, it's it's not, if you listen to it, it's like an outlier for them. And it was the thing that electrified me, like downstrokes, palm muting, Pat smear, you know, machine <laughs> gun fills, like out chords that like deviated from the diatonic and like just that one note screaming bridge. Like it had a, all for me and everything's bone dry it sounds amazing um so stuff like that or oasis or weezer you know like you take your car to work i'll take my board like like we were into the beach punk like the ramones and stuff like um and going to shows you know pretty in high school that started like we didn't really know what a show was till we went and it, it was very you know emo inflected a lot of like saves the day fans um in those days and uh like no use for a name and all the sort of pop punk stuff but it was just cool to see bands creating and um you know that that happened at the pavilion in halifax and the arts guild in uh, Charlottetown, and um you know uh seeing your first floor punch was was uh Formative moment—you don't forget either.
1: Yeah, I'm, sorry, I'm trying to remember the name of the the big hardcore band from Halifax around then too. It was like... Well,
3: there'd be like Ripping Hammer. Um, there was like Monine came around a lot. Yeah, but they were I think from Ontario. Um, yeah. Stephen McLeod uh, from earl put on a lot of the shows. He was great. Um, and he now writes with like B A Johnson. Um, much to his credit, that that great. Uh, um. We're all going to jail, but Pete's going to, he's going to die. You know that song about the Budweiser stage, Molson Amphitheater? It's about going to a Van Halen show on mushrooms. Anyway. Side no, band.
0: I got to hear that. that, it, that sounds...
3: it, it, it's so good. It's on uh, the skid is hot tonight. Um, anyway. Um, yeah. He was, he was huge in all his side bands, like Operation Impact and uh, um, out of that came like Cold Warps, uh, Dominic Taylor, I think uh' was his band, but yeah, it's all very, pretty obscure stuff, but um, kind of has a long tail.
2: I mean, there's also this world in the Maritimes of like grant things that are pumped up by funding and they kind of take up the majority of the conversation in space. And I think what Alec is talking about is all the stuff that was outside of that.
3: Yeah, it was kind of similar, simmering below. And you get a lot of that around East Coast Music Award time, the ECMAs, Um with the no cases shows which started incidentally in sydney cape breton um by a guy at the campus radio station at uccb and these were the shows that would happen in tandem with the official industry (laughs) sanction if you can fathom a music industry in the maritimes you know it was very provincial um and modest but uh you know buck 65 would have been playing these things and bands like rock ranger and uh you know I'm sure some Sloan side projects crept in there too and then uh, they eventually got appropriated by the bars in whatever town the ecmas was in the and um, sort of co-opted kind of thing but there was yeah always that sort of awareness that you were in a marginal geographic community and trying to find your place within that
1: well you know you you say that but then at the same time to me all the great records came out, of the Maritimes, maybe a little earlier during like the sort of that literal Cal Halifax pop explosion before the, the festival, obviously, but, but like Sloan, like hardship Post, like, um, stinking rich before he was buck 65. Like there's a uh, uh, super friends and thrush hermit. Like there's just so much jail, like so much great stuff from yeah. that period that came out of there. and, and, You know, and like, like, yeah, it just feels like that was the most fertile kind of music area when I was a kid in Canada.
3: Totally, yeah. We have a lot of love for all those guys, like Jail, that duet on the uh, Ashley McIsaac record, sweet, and Molly would have been huge into that record. Obviously, Ashley used to take fiddle lessons at her house, and and he was quite the punk himself. Um, You know, uh just high kicking on uh, with the kilt in in Japan or wherever with the chieftains and he had the leopard print uh like dyed hair and stuff um
1: yeah my aunt was obsessed with him and i had, i went to hmv one time with her and my little cousin to meet him at a signing he did because my like he, he was my my aunt's favorite musician
2: <laughs> yeah i mean if you want to talk about someone stepping outside of a pretty rigid idea (laughs) i think ashley has definitely done
1: that it's interesting how like because also on um like with two hours traffic you're on bumstead records you know and like katie lang's first seven inch came out on bumstead records like it's interesting how there's are a lot of these people from canada that kind of are in these sort of what i would imagine as an outsider very traditional sort of rigid genres and like you know, whether it's Astrid McIsaac or Katie Lang or, but just bucked against them and kind of like, I imagine like that would have been, that's, that's real rebellion. Like forget being a punk, like that's, <laughs> you got to really build your own scene that way.
3: Yeah. You, you, the weirdos had to unite cause there weren't enough like capital P punks around to, you know, support a full scene. I guess, um, in, in Canada, you know, and especially where we were from. Um, so yeah, we, we, in that regard, it was a little more inclusive, I guess. And you got a lot of those punk adjacent sort of people with the attitude, um, uh, and the, you know, the, the conviction to like follow their weird arrow, you know, wherever it led, um and but also weirdly
1: and, they are all like not to cut you off but like, they all are informed by punk like katie lang was into punk music and, and like from what you're saying molly too, it sounds like ashley McIsaac was into punk music and you know and certainly all everyone from sloan and and jail and and thrush hermit like they were all into punk and and diy and like the sort of like precursors to punk even in some cases and and so it it does feel like these people taking this energy and then kind of changing the world around them, which is kind of what you you wind up doing with always.
2: Um, in what way do you mean that? I mean, I'm like you're I... in a very
1: pop kind of centered world, right? And like you know, I like I listen to so many interviews before I do these podcasts, and listening to interviews with yourselves, like the stuff you're referencing and and dropping and talking about music wise, is not sort of like the conventional stuff that people are referencing and talking about in this pop space obviously you're a massive pop act at this point but at the same time like you're trying to i don't know, like it once again from the outside it appears that you're trying to kind of do it on your own terms
2: yeah i mean we both have an aversion to like schmoozing and any type of forced anything really like i i've never felt like I wanted to force our music down anyone's throat or be overtly markety. Um, and Alec and I are both just kind of like that, but like we kind of have this, this meter of what we think is lame. Um, and a lot of the time you're, you're kind of like shooting yourself in the foot, but um, you know, but I don't know. I, but I, and for, for that reason, I'm sure we'll never really be a very big thing, but I, and for other reasons that are, you know, yeah, talent and and whatever, just not being accessible enough, and and the way that you know,
3: we we're, we're not, you know, we're comfortable with at being at best like a a big cult band, um, and you know we're never gonna get like substantial radio play, you know, um, and we also sympathized with that that do as much as you can yourself um mindset you know whether that was recording or learning to mix or master or you know shooting on super eight even though we've never held a camera before and oh whoops there's a music video now uh and um that you know we we saw these these bands like like um the dolly mixture or or vaselines or you know you name it like uh, shop assistants, motorcycle boy girls at our best all, all this stuff and, and um just that really spoke to us like to not you don't have to like turn your nose up at anything necessarily other than like bland uh, uh music that's kind of diluting itself
1: I'm so glad you brought up Girls at Our Best because no one has ever brought them up on the show. Really,
3: I'm surprised at that. That's funny too. I
1: I love that band so much.
3: Oh yeah, I I I don't know if they were a one and done uh, record, but um, Thomas Dolby might have been the keyboardist in that band. Did you know that?
1: Yeah, I didn't know that actually. I think I only have like I've never dug that deep into them. I think I have two singles, maybe maybe. maybe three and, and, yeah um, but,
3: poli- politics was good that was a that was a banger um, yeah there's a, they rip They're
1: great that era of, of music in the UK is just so awesome to me like that that sort of like the door is open if you've got enough money to put together to put out a record have at it because there's distribution channels and there's just so yeah. much good stuff
3: and it's so neatly delineated like January 1980 like the indie charts start in Britain I have this book that goes from January 1980 to December 1989 and it's just a gold mine for all that stuff um you would you would love it you probably have it already but no I don't. know I, gotta I didn't get that. know <clears throat> I didn't know about like um it provides all this great context too like I didn't know. Uh, about the boy hairdressers you know the band that preceded uh, teenage fan club or that Norman played with the pastels or you know all all this arcane stuff that only like people like us would really care about I guess but you you know you'll you'll look some of that stuff up and it'll be just uh, sort of earth shatteringly beautiful things and 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 stuff that you would never hear elsewhere if you didn't know what you were looking for i guess
1: oh 100 percent. like that's what i yeah like i I live for that kind of uh like you're saying it's arcane knowledge and it it doesn't matter but at the same time it's like yeah but that's why it's the most important shit ever is because no one else cares about it
3: yeah i'm glad like one dude or dudette like took the time to archive that stuff because uh, so much of that stuff slips away especially from this weird like Uh, early internet generation like I was going back through PEI locals which was the message board you would go on if if you were my age you know and find out what shows were happening and there was equivalent Halifax locals CB locals for Cape Breton and uh, Moncton locals I think as well but it was a good little message board community and you could do whatever you wanted you could review a CD or you could you know talk about shows there was a message board this was all like you know, pre-all contemporary bullshit. Um, but it was a good thing and it barely exists now except for the Wayback Machine. Like you <laughs> get the odd snapshot here and there like, oh yeah, that poster I made, you know, in 2006 or whatever. Yeah, that was a pretty good one. But like, you know, bands you would have forgotten about and little pieces of creative writing. It was like a mini zine online or something like that.
1: It's interesting to think about that period prior to the period we're in now with like YouTube and, and streaming services and all that sort of stuff where it's digital media and and there's that sort of stuff. But I don't think people are holding on to things in the same way they were prior to where it was just physical media. And it was sort of this idea that like, oh, this shit's going to be around forever. And there's just so much stuff that's lost from that time period and like stuff that was shot on like these weird arcane formats that are around for like a hot second. And then abandoned like mini DV tapes and like, yeah, yeah. So,
3: It's yeah. uh, all the pre cloud stuff just got wiped, I, I yeah. feel, and and it's it sucks, like,
1: yeah, now it's around forever. Now there's no <laughs> there's nothing that can be forgotten, it's all in that cloud,
3: yeah, absolutely.
1: It's it's interesting too when you think about that time period, like, sort of you know, I look at it like when that the desperate bicycles put out that seven inch, um, the first seven inch in I forget what year 70 I should know 77 it's like six months after they're great Um, so good so good and there's that story that like they sold like 19 copies the next day or or maybe it's like 90 copies but anyway they sold some number of copies the next day at rough trade after John Peel played it and that was the foundation of this sort of DIY scene and you think about like where that goes and in metal and indie music and all this sort of stuff that kind of comes out of it it's it's so funny that people fixate on punk being this, like, little band of of styles and sounds and, like, you know, like, I was watching American Hardcore last night and people talk about, like, that was the only continuation of punk and it's like, no, 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 punk was, like, the shop assistants and the dolly mixtures and it was, like, a lot more interesting at times than a lot of the American Hardcore stuff or the British Hardcore stuff that was going on at that point.
3: Oh, man, it radiated outward,
1: yeah, largely, like...
3: It's it's insane the legacy it's had, um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 you kind of get overwhelmed trying to trace all its myriad octopus tentacles.
1: You get overwhelmed, but at the same time, it's like uh, it, it's also one of those things where it's like, yeah, I could be focused on sports, you know.
3: <laughs> it be. Which you know, we we got into b ball during the, you know, I heard. The- I heard
1: heard Molly, you're in like a fantasy lead with like Doug Marsh or some shit.
2: (laughs) I was, I was for like two (laughs) or three years. (laughs) I made all these friends, like they were so cute with me because I had never done it before. But um, I was really into watching the NBA and really into the Raptors before they had their incredible run. But it just sort of took my mind off how rotten i feel like the world was at that time or something but um yeah i got really into it which is kind of what i do with everything is just become obsessive about things so i was driving everyone around me crazy with this fantasy (laughs) stuff like just living and dying by every field goal percent
3: yeah there was a inflection point where we were making a blue rev recording it and uh, it was draft day so everything was kicking off and molly was sort of lining up her statistics on the recording couch and we had to break it to her like i don't think you can be involved in the league this year momo and uh she was crushed
2: i actually did weep you did weep (laughs) yeah i cried
1: that uh But, like, if you miss – like, here's how little I know about sports. And I know the draft's important from when I collected sports cards. But at the same time, like, if you miss the draft, there's, like, no way you could just jump back on with what's ever left. Like, yeah, I'll make it work.
2: Oh, I mean, the first time I drafted, I drafted so poorly that I basically did what you're describing. Like, um, (laughs) I just – what you do, I guess, is you call it, like, streaming, where you just, like, pick up a bunch of people and drop them, depending on if they're on a hot streak. So that requires a lot more work than if you just have like Carl Anthony Towns, who does everything. Sorry, this is becoming Arcane way too... in
3: the wrong field. I'm afraid.
2: Hey, uh... listen,
1: this makes sense now. I know what people feel like when I start talking about punk, but I, th- <laughs> I'm sure that for people listening right now, this is like fascinating hearing you talk about this stuff.
3: Well, like... Molly, Molly was a quick study. She uh, she swept the league. She won the second year she was in. Beat all the boys from Boise, including Doug March. So um. Yeah, she was good. But <laughs> uh awesome. it sounds like your uh your trading card thing was like maybe a precursor for uh all this all this oh, seven absolutely. inch collecting you're doing yeah.
1: Yeah, I went I went uh cards, comics, and then just music. And that's where I kind of was like, Okay, this was this is everything I was looking for, all in one place. You can be a nerd. You're
2: a, you're a collector.
1: I'm a collector, yeah. And I, and I, it's it's weird because my dad's a collector. So it's like one of those nature or nurture things, I wonder. Like, I look at my kids and I'm like, is this going to be a burden I'm saddling on them? Like, are they going to get, like, I learned it from you, dad. That's why I got to get these Pokemon cards. But they haven't really gotten into it as much as, to the, I mean, to the unhealthy level that I'm into it.
2: Oh, my God. I actually used to sell Pokemon cards in elementary school. And it became a thing like they were banned, I think, basically because of me, because kids would not have their lunch money well, because I had you... this like gig on the side that was like dealing Pokemon <laughs> cards.
1: If you have any of your old stash kicking around, you know, those I things do. are worth like, you know, they're worth like, like some of them were worth like millions of dollars.
2: Yeah, I think like some of them are like Charmander, Char. Charmeleon Charizard, those ones are the big, yeah, the big money makers, which I don't think I had I went mean, like I went back and checked when all of this was becoming a big thing again, and I don't think I had anything that was like worthy of money.
1: Well, what you got to do is you go through, you find which ones are worth money, and then you send them off to be locked away into a like a plastic prison, yeah. and graded
2: <laughs> It's all going down in Japan, you know, like. I feel like they all know what, what's worth what. We yeah. have a friend who sent, like, a guy, one of our close friends, a brand new package of Pokemon cards, and in it was the extremely rare, whatever, first edition Charizard. Or... What? Yeah, and uh, and I think that was when he was little, so now he's, like, checking it out, seeing what he can
1: get. Damn. that is That is one of those things where, like, well, I guess it's like, you know, the equivalent of someone finding like an amazing fantasy 15 i think it is with the first appearance of spider-man or something like that but for for like a an older generation That's a younger totally generation real. i should say yeah totally it's it's it you got
0: everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mckrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.
1: And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited
0: time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Because you're on a Japanese label. You've got a bunch of records on a Japanese label. Do you get to go over there often?
2: We've gone twice. Probably our favorite place to go Um and I feel as though we will be going again.
1: Uh, <laughs> I, I think that would be, uh, uh, that's my dream to get back.
2: Have you guys done it a few times? Like Fuji we Rock and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, we did. We Fuji Rock one time. And then we played the Hostess Weekender one time. Uh, and then we did our own show prior to that. But we never really kind of taken off in Japan and uh much to my chagrin but when i was making that wrestling tv show i got to go there for a month and it was like the greatest month ever
2: where did you stay
1: just in tokyo cool it was awesome like every day i went to the same went to the same ramen shop 14 days in a row why not i I was like i'm like i'm living here i feel like this is my my new life and like obviously never forgot my family but you know at the same time (laughs) i'm like i could just live here and
3: watch wrestling Yeah. controversial yeah houses are cheap i've been checking
1: it is it's hard but it's hard to get citizenship right i'm sure they'd make an
3: exception for a charmer like you
1: oh, well don't don't no no I'm, I'm a family guy i'm not doing this this is here's always the, trying to corrupt me with your bring the fam man <laughs> yeah this is that <laughs> yeah i can, bring you can the family. only
2: choose you can only choose one
1: child it's like here family let's want to plop you into a sea. i can only pick one <laughs> Oh, my gosh. This is getting so dark, this podcast. Let's, you know, but speaking of getting dark, you know, you brought up the wrestling thing earlier and how obsessed with it I was. And uh, it's like that fancy basketball thing. Like, after a while, you need something when you're in a band that's, that's maybe not even music. Like, as much as I love music, you do need something that you can almost unplug completely from this world with.
2: I agree. I mean, I probably do that too much, but... I like to have a lot of balance because then I become fulfilled and write better music in my opinion. But I've, if I'm only just like chipping away at stuff all day, every day, my self-worth can really take, take a big dip.
3: Yeah. It's it as you know, it's a very uh, uh, <laughs> humbling experience, the, uh, the process. Um, but uh, yeah, it's good to have, fucking Zelda or whatever, you know, yeah. to dive into for a while.
1: Yeah, like, because like, I think that's the reason, you know, and not that people still don't f- find themselves in these situations, but I think that's the reason in previous generations you had so many people getting caught up in drugs and, and, and booze, obviously, is because it's, you're so bored.
3: Yeah, not enough subcultures, but now it's it's all we've got. Like, it, the, the uh, fragmentation... You can there's so many things to get into now it's 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 messed up but uh um it's getting a little micro for my taste maybe maybe we could scale it back like half a generation's worth of subculture um but yeah that's where all the fun is just digging in to esoteria and uh you know if if that's a non-musical thing that can be super super uh, helpful for the the creative brain
1: it's almost like though the subcultures now are bigger than the culture at this point like in terms of like the, the mass culture that exists is obviously you know pervasive and you know like Swifties and this whole thing but then there's like all these like micro subcultures that are like unbelievably huge and you know like I'll never forget the first time uh we played with Ghost main like maybe 10 years ago and realizing, like, oh, my God, I know nothing about music now. And, like, my my eldest is into these these rappers uh, that are YouTubers that have huge followings <laughs> that I – most people you ask, they're like, I have never heard of that in my life. And it's like, wow, the, the, this person is uh, massively popular.
2: Yeah, I do feel like it's really easy to fall behind now because there's so much stuff on, like, exclusive – Uh, platforms and apps that have their own humongous following so if you don't have that you really don't see what's big or what's popular I don't know if that makes sense but like I don't really have any of the big apps like Instagram or TikTok or any of that or Facebook but like I feel like all information now and and trends are on those and I don't really know how I find out about anything anymore
3: yes still just through our friends and wish it would happen more often, you know, and, and going down wormholes, but yeah, there is algorithmic fragmentation going on. So there's like barely any unified thing to be, you know, (laughs) opposed to almost um, except maybe that, you know, monolithic uh, sort of presence of, of these you know social media companies that fragment our lives and suck up so much of our energy i suppose um but uh yeah it's there's so much uh like you said like you know the soundcloud rap scene like there's just how would you ever like crack that nut as like a one of us you know you'd have to like pour all your time into it
1: yeah like could you imagine like a cultural weekly magazine came back now it'd have to be like the size of a phone book just to cover all the culture that happens now because like you said molly there's like twitch stars and there's tiktok stars and there's instagram stars and like these people all have millions and millions of people supporting them and they're they're able to to live off i don't know their content i guess for or maybe their art you know like whatever they're doing and yet if you don't have twitch You'd have no idea who this person is,
2: yeah, I mean I don't I have I will uh refrain from saying it's good or bad. I mean, it's cool that pretty much anyone can make music now mm-hmm. but um, I don't know I, I do feel really out of the loop like even you were just talking about weekly magazines and papers and stuff like I feel like that's how I used to find out who was playing where and and even just like you don't really buy tickets at record stores anymore. I didn't know that was a thing. I'm now exposing my age, but everything is just just like...
3: Well, there's not even any websites anymore. Yeah. You know, like, no one goes to, like, a message board or whatever we used to do. You know, there's no even digital unifier anymore. Like, we used to have, you know, for example, like, reruns on TV, and then that would provide a common cultural lexicon for everyone, and you could talk reference something and sure sure enough you know nine times out of ten the person had know what you were talking about and you had some common ground but now like that's an unintended side effect of you know yet another american website or app just like arson things up uh namely netflix you know and and uh no you know no one's like bemoaning the loss of reruns, I guess, except me. But, uh, you know, there's, there's just all these trickle down effects that, that we don't really reckon with until we're put in that scenario.
1: Oh, I would kill. Like, that's the thing with, there are reruns still, but it's only like Seinfeld or, or the Simpsons or like, there's only like five shows. Like, I'd love to see a night court re rerun or it was Michael Imperioli was just on the podcast and we, we talked about, uh, um, uh, basketball Diaries and he's like oh it's such a he's like yeah it's not a great film and like you know kind of bemoaning this thing and it's like yeah it's got it's got its faults but like you think about the cultural impact of even movies that people didn't like back then like yeah yeah, everyone you had saw a, that movie
3: totally and there was a cycle of you know maybe 16 or so on TBS or whatever oh my
2: god you'd be like Jaws is on again yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's do this yes
3: <laughs> Independence Day baby yeah,
1: yeah yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna sit here but those still are the only things like from well, maybe it's changed but when i was at much music you look at the ratings and you're like god how is this like movie from like 1993 beating our ass every time in the ratings because it's just like people are Damn. just like oh so sad toning that, in.
3: man because much was so huge and uh and uh effective as a unifier in pop culture like it was one of the few strands we had you know growing up in a remote location like going coastal was massive uh the wedge obviously and uh you know just george george strombo's show like you know there you couldn't really it's it's tough to overstate what a loss that was when it just went much music the way of the odd simpsons rerun and reality shows it was was just like you're kidding like you're going this because these numbers say that like really sucks but we're still listening to zoomer radio another chum city property here in toronto
1: is it or that that's moses on his own i think right
3: oh did he branch out oh yeah he he
1: got when he left much music uh, oh he I i think he started zoomer media then
3: oh maybe that's why it's good yeah
1: he's he was a real interesting person like obviously you know a a lot of opinions a lot of about him uh, from people that worked with him and worked for him but i only met him a couple times but he just kind of you look at what we had access to as people who had canadian cable or canadian you know terrestrials access to it signal wise you know like movie television like music television the new music like uh So all this stuff, that's like precursors to the early days of the internet with websites, like, you know, Speaker's Corner, like that's YouTube.
3: Yeah, that was way ahead of its time and so cool. Uh, And, you know, hilarious. There was a democratic element there and there was with, um, uh, what was the dance show? Electric Circus. Electric Circus, Yeah, yeah. Like you could line up outside, you'd like strut your stuff, like, bust a few moves and you'd be in or out you know you, either you'd be along the curb uh in the window you know dancing on the outside or if you had good enough moves they'd bring you in with the ringers and yeah. you'd be bumping and grinding with the best of them yeah really really miss that i i drive mo- molly nuts with how obsessed i am with some of that passing stuff like snow job um the one in uh newfoundland at marble mountain in particular that that sloan played uh on the side of the hill and it's it's super punk like uh andrew scott the drummer's all wrapped up in his scarf and they're all freezing their butts off and yeah. uh and then chris murphy goes skiing afterwards with mike campbell and is cracking jokes the whole time and he's a great skier he's making fun of the locals like oh do a 360 or call you know saying he gave lessons to the dude doing, doing jumps and stuff. Um, and then Wilco also played this same show um, and crushed it. They brought like their Leslie speaker on the snow hill. They loved the show so much, they pressed it to vinyl, I believe. And uh, right before the guitar solo, Bobby, Egan, who's now in Blue Rodeo, gets so amped up that he starts jumping and he falls on his back into the snow uh and keeps the solo going (laughs) like just ripping it's the funniest thing ever um and yeah it's uniquely canadian and maybe a bunch of people won't give a hoot but I that's
1: awesome i loved it i loved uh that kind of content i think in another dimension chris murphy is is our jimmy fallon but actually funny up here because he is like, yeah, he's, he's one of the funniest funny. dudes in the world.
3: He's got it. He's got Whatever it. it is.
2: Yeah, like from day one. Yeah, yeah. I remember it's... like that. Oh, sorry. I was I was gonna say that. Do you remember when they were playing one of those Much Music concerts and he just like ran outside the building, and was like yelling the chord changes to them, like the rest of his <laughs> yes. band, ah. like as as if they didn't know.
3: Yeah, one of the intermittent interactives.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So funny.
3: yeah Yeah. total ham
1: total Total ham ham. and like and just talk about someone that almost feels like like purpose built for this you know like he's straight edge he's he's naturally got that like need to ham it up in every situation (laughs) and he looks kind of like david koresh like he's got that weird kind of handsomeness
2: so you have a crush on him is what you're saying. I, I've
1: had a crush on him. I've told him this to his face years for years, you know, he's a, he's an incredible, like, you know, and I was like, I love Sloan, but I was never the biggest Sloan fan, but I've always been a massive Chris Murphy fan.
3: <laughs> yeah, we were too. I mean, like that was one of the first videos I remember on much, like having like a, oh my God, what the hell is this uh, effect Um that, uh, Everything you've done wrong, a wedding video was just yeah. like
2: Yeah, I feel like we talk about Sloan in every interview, but it really can't be overstated their impact on Canadian music.
3: Yeah, they they yeah. paved the way and I guess started Culture. did they start Murder Records? Yep. Might. Yeah. Yep. Um, which to their credit, I can put out a bunch of cool Al Talk records. Um maybe you have some. I, I I certainly don't, but
1: I've got a I've got a, not a complete murder records catalog but i i lucked out and found a guy at a at the flea market uh the old antique market down at st lawrence one day who just had a box of every cool maritimes indie punk record like going back to the the 70s
3: oh man did you have that never mind the mollusks um
1: yes yeah i got that i got the null and void i got the i got i got wilds i'm trying to remember some of these bands like some like I think that's where i got uh do you know the dry heaves from i think they were from new brunswick maybe
3: no but that's an incredible name
1: <laughs> they are uh, there's also because there's another dry heaves from i believe london or windsor and but this is like uh, windsor sorry and the, but this is like the maritime dry heaves that is awesome just like cool. really art damaged like heavy but yeah they're fantastic there's, there's so much cool stuff there and it's like a, a cool tradition but like you're saying sloan like growing up there there was like a lot of bands that i liked a lot of music but not a lot of stuff that you could be like oh that's cool like brian adams great songs loved them but not necessarily cool and sling dion wasn't necessarily cool but sloan was cool
3: yeah and they were deep too you know you could uh dig into any one of their records like one chord to another was probably the first one that we would have intercepted and then from there you go on to navy blues and uh uh, the twice removed and uh, you know it wasn't until much later that i i learned about smeared and and in particular like i am the cancer that chris song which is just a smoking piece of my bloody valentine aping that uh, (laughs) i love so much and I, i ape that song quite a bit um but yeah yeah like uh you know the eric's trip uh thing they were kind of maybe a little more no wave um but uh that sackville would have been like probably the closest stuff to to where i i came up and and there was something percolating there it was always cool when you'd go over to sackville because it was college town and you played george's roadhouse um i remember seeing the constantines there and people lit off fireworks in the street like it it was at the end of a road right by a via rail train station that didn't get much action and it was one of the best shows i've ever seen it was we played a show there a few shows there too we put like sappy fest early on we had to make our own self released tape as a precondition of playing sappy fest like they were like y- you can play here but you gotta have something to sell so we just like cheekily put a little cassette together um and that was our uh first self-titled our, our first record um so probably weren't supposed to do that but whatever but crazy shows there like there's one show at the legion in sackville that like we would hang our always flag behind the drum kit and it uh, got torn off the wall pretty uh, pretty quickly um and molly had to do a little tug of war for it
1: <laughs> so did you wait did, is the self-release tape what you send to polyvinyl like how did that connection happen
2: I think we just had a band camp or a SoundCloud. I think we had a SoundCloud and Polyvinyl just listened to two of the songs. And that was it for them, I guess. We couldn't really get anyone in Canada to release the album. Like, we really couldn't get anyone to release the album. <laughs> so our manager at the time just was starting a label. And he was like, we'll all release it on this label. But... It was brand new we were like one of the first albums to come out on that canadian label royal mountain
1: oh yeah yeah so that that was that for royal mountain before it was polyvinyl type thing Um, Before,
2: before, i think polyvinyl 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 was the first label that was interested i think with us um or in us and and then everything like in the uk there was interest there too but not in canada
3: yeah we kind of broke in the uk first um, you have to
1: do it that's the only way to do it
3: yeah they they like songs over there <laughs> Yeah, so no, you, yeah. you got to do it i'm sure it was similar for you guys
1: absolutely no like we couldn't get uh, I, i'm i pretty sure we were reviewed in NME before we reviewed in Exclaim.
2: yeah um, i mean and at the time you probably think it's like a frustrating thing but it actually ends up being a good thing yeah just because you're not, you don't become like this Canadian band um, yeah. that can't play a show in outside of Canada, but I don't we know also, if that's a thing for you guys. Or... Oh,
1: it's, well, we even something more here, like I'm sure you're familiar with it being here now, but like, there's almost like the, and, and it's probably less so now actually, because we don't have the weeklies, but there's a, there's the Toronto band where you would become huge. You'd get on the cover of now or I, and you would be like the band in Toronto, like, you know, headline horseshoe shows and sell them out and all this sort of thing. But that would be it. You know, like you get almost like kind of trapped in the city and none of these bands would tour. There's so many great bands that just never really made it out of Toronto that were huge here.
2: I mean, that can I'm sure that, that that exists in every town and region but I mean there was a huge thing in the Maritimes that was like that it's like you could be the biggest band in town and everyone would know who you are and come to all the shows but no one would have any idea who you were in Toronto and that's not that wasn't the case for us we were big or whatever when we left but it is like a really it's own little cave
3: yeah we'd we'd been through it a couple times with like high school bands or whatever and um i had this band the Danks, um that you know played a lot in the maritimes and, and we were kind of like strokes inflected or the hives or something or debo um and uh, had got used to that experience of like playing overplaying the maritimes and then as soon as you get out you're like you know starting from square one so with always you know some of our first shows were like in Columbus Ohio or New York or Toronto just trying to like start in population centers yeah. you know where there was sufficient you know subculture uh density to to warrant us playing and like to this day we're still a fairly urban band would you you say Molly like it's tough for us to like play Sydney Cape Breton or something Oh
2: we could I mean like we can't really go to Moncton and and play to a full room of people <laughs> but, <laughs> really at this yeah. point um I a mean, full a
3: small of... room sure. Yeah. Yeah. but we
2: don't like we don't sell beer like yeah. we're just this weird band that like our music isn't weird i don't think but we just have this occupy the strange space of being big in certain places and and then in i guess like yeah like no one would like hoist a beer and like be like Yarrr.
1: yeah yeah
3: <laughs> which is the barometer where we're from the pirate yeah. noise yeah you All gotta right.
1: yeah. <laughs> because it, yeah that those there's those bands there's the bands that the sound guy likes and and I've never been in one of those bands like I've never been in a beer band and I've never been in a sound guy liking band I've been just in bands that well generally about.
3: you have to you have to do soundtracks in order to be a sound guy man <laughs> you guys seem averse to those so
1: yeah i I'm, I'm better at doing that now i i definitely am i've gotten over myself and my thing of not wanting to blow up my voice by doing one song during sound check but
2: oh i didn't realize that's what was going on yeah I didn't like realize, i realized like were other people sound checking though because i didn't yes. feel like it wasn't only you oh, oh
1: that might have been no yeah like i think everyone else would normally sound check by that point it's uh
3: Okay, not on this Canadian tour we did, not to correct the record, but Please. there there wasn't much of any uh sound checking <laughs> mic testing uh vocal or otherwise. Um No,
1: they and they don't test the mic at that point. Like when we go to England, we'll have like uh, uh like our, our buddy uh, Tom over there and he'll test the mic for me and and do stuff for me so I don't have to sound check, but like yeah. I realize now if I don't sound check, it's not like someone from fucked up's going up just to yell in the mic and try it out. Like it's just left <laughs> Raw, my <laughs> sometimes my monitors aren't even turned on. I thought really that was so
3: cool, though, like that you guys, you know, were that confident that you could just be like, "Yeah, fuck it, we'll play the show. It'll be great."
1: <laughs> I think it's because we, you know, we sounded shit for so long, and you show up at a show and be like, "Oh, there's no PA, and I'm going to be yelling through a bass amp." Okay, fine, fuck it. Oh, no. You know, yeah. like DIY spaces are awesome. Because they allow anyone to get up there and and do their thing, like surviving, obviously, excluding assholes who are terrible people, but like, th- theoretically, people, anyone can get up there and do their thing. But uh, it, the sound might not be that great. <laughs> the, the gear that you're going to be doing it with might, might not be up to, com- up to code. Prof- yeah, a professional co- coded standards.
2: Yeah, I think it's like one of those important things to start at the bottom So when things go wrong, you're not completely destroyed by it. Like, I feel like we still play festivals where really fundamental things will go wrong because that's just how it works. And it's not foreign to me because we did so much of that years ago where you just, like, would play without any monitors or with people just, like, screaming in your face. People would come on stage and... Tell you to keep playing, like just really wild things that you just become accustomed to.
1: Yeah. Because I see, because then you see performers that, that you know, they just fall apart on stage when something starts going wrong. And it's like, no one, I tell this people all the time, like, no one notices in the crowd if something goes wrong as long as you don't sell it. You know, like, obviously, if all the mics go off and, and, and you can't sing, but like, if you just went into a solo at that part, no one's going to miss a beat.
2: And more importantly, no one cares what no you're going cares. through on stage. Yes, like it's like not their concern if if the monitors aren't working or you have the wrong levels or the you know the tom mic falls off. It's like
1: I are yeah. going on chaos.
3: No, I was just going to say you probably don't even need a tom mic, yeah, <laughs> so no. don't worry about
1: it. No. I like that's my thing. I, I also feel like. I want to see, not that I want anyone to have a terrible performance where they're going through strife on stage, but at the same time, I want to see something that I can't replicate by just going on YouTube and watching this band do a perfect performance somewhere. I want to see a memorable experience that night. And if it—if that's a show that winds up being kind of a disaster, that's awesome. Like, I got to see that. Yeah. I'm happy with that experience. It was a real experience.
3: I want to see them break a string. I want. To, you, I, I'm in the same boat, identically. Like, uh, and it's not like a Schadenfreude, like malevolent no. impulse or anything, but it's just so real, and it, it, you can't replicate it, like you said.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was gonna. Did your approach to always change, like same way with Molly, based on her previous musical experience, but like with doing two hours traffic, and kind of being more in like a, I imagine it would be more kind of like a a Canadian musical experience type thing
3: um that was yeah i i I wouldn't know what the typical thing was we certainly went like coast to coast canada a few times um in that band and uh felt those sort of limits when we tried to go elsewhere um yeah very young like it, it was my i started the band in high school with liam uh and uh you know, didn't have our adult brains yet. They're they're still playing and stuff, but um, yeah, I, I think I took from that that like, you know, you do have to play elsewhere, and also that you're not as weird as you think you are musically. <laughs> like, um, I I thought we were like playing like you know pretty somewhat left to center pop music or whatever but you know to everyone else it's just sort of like pretty like down the middle kind of thing so maybe one of the lessons i took with that uh into always was to try to skew stranger than you are comfortable with doing and odds are people won't register it as such um it might not get radio play but it it actually comes out a little more singular Um, I don't know, Molly, if, if you strive for strangeness to like, maybe that's what you did initially when you wanted to record with Chad, um, like you were seeking that kind of gritty, you know, Calgary thing, like the, the punk, like that women, that public strain record, you know, sound you might've been going for or something,
2: yeah, I think um, my brother sent me Soft Airplanes, um, the Chad Van Galen album, and because um, he had just moved to Calgary, so he sent me a few Calgary artists in the mail, a few CDs, and I thought it would be really cool to see what his production would sound like on some of the songs that we were writing, but I didn't think he would ever agree to record us, so that was a surprise and then ended up making our first album with him, but... I also, I just felt like there was no point in having any rules or listening to any industry people about anything because I really felt like no one understood what was happening with music. Hmm. And I still kind of feel like that. Like you just have to sort of make it work and do it however you know how to do it um, and just see it through because I don't think there's a really a formula anymore.
1: Yeah, no, there's like, there's so many, well, like you're saying earlier, there's so many paths to it, right? There's so many different ways and there's so many different metrics of success now too. It's not good review from this magazine anymore because those don't necessarily mean anything. Like it's not necessarily views on this platform because those don't necessarily mean anything. Like it's, I don't know, it just feels like there's so many more ways of defining success now too.
3: Yeah. And you have to look inward for that as well like um being truly satisfied uh with what you've produced like uh you know molly and i had recorded some stuff together and like you know we would be rushed by totally arbitrary things like oh we got a show at hunter's House, you know in three weeks so we better you know finish this mix up and and we, when we could have spent like more time Um, just getting it right and not deluding ourselves so we made a point on from always like from the inception to never pull the wool over our own eyes I guess if something wasn't like speaking to our like hardened reptile hearts (laughs) then you know how could we expect it it to move somebody else you know to give someone the chills or, or or whatever so we you know when faced with problems, we would like then pick up the requisite skills to amend those problems and and solve them or like find a way to smear something. So the problem is obfuscated, you know, like, like just it's, and it's fun to do that, to like get the means of production at your fingertips and, and, and just like take it over. And like people, you know, on your way up will tell you, how to do things so often and, and a lot of it's just bs
1: yeah yeah like and totally like and now if someone tells you you know ah, and what you're doing is not going to work it's like well i'll just find a new way to do it or there's like there's yeah. got to be a way around you now like there's no you know like from uh,
3: or uh, or you just say no it works
1: yeah it works anyway what are you gonna <laughs> do to stop me <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> yeah uh uh well this has been awesome and even though it took us a long time to do it anytime either you or both of you want to come back on and talk about music or or TikTok, i think i'm the only one who talks about TikTok. but <laughs> you're both welcome
2: yeah should we cover punk at all in this in this
1: well i don't know i think we <laughs> kind of did right like it's your well i don't know like i think sloan is punk chris chris was a chris the punk like that's my my definition of it is that if you were affected by it or listened to it or claimed it at any point in your life there's a, and then we can cut this out if you don't want to talk about it, but was there did you have like some crazy shit involving punk and police at some point molly
2: oh yeah i was hmm, i was arrested for assaulting a police officer um <laughs> and, yeah that, that did happen <laughs> um i had like really no fear when i was that age i was like maybe 20 um, which is really naive, but it actually did really change my perspective on police and how much they lie. Yeah. Because everything that happened was so different than what they had written up on their accounts, which I, you know, it was sent to me in the mail months and months later. But I just like was reading, you know, what they said had happened and I just couldn't believe it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it really changed my perspective on on cops and stuff but um yeah they were just like uh choking a a friend of mine and I jumped on top of them at one point like I just like feared for their life so I jumped on top of one of them and just basically hit him as many times (laughs) as I could
1: that's punk Uh, that's pretty punk.
2: and yeah well I mean I'm not proud I'm not proud of my behavior but it it was like a really embarrassing thing to go through, and I'm lucky that I didn't, you know.
3: Well, I'm die. I'm, I'm proud of your behavior because that friend was me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> I had no idea.
1: I remember you told me that story, but I think Alec. I don't. I don't know if I knew Alec was the person in the yeah. question.
2: Yeah, it was Alec. But um, anyway, that you know, that's behind us. But I I would probably do it again. I won't do it again, but if I could go back, I would have done the same thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, 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 if you if it comes down to saving Alec, you're gonna save Alec.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're. Uh, I mean, city cops are pretty unhinged.
1: Yes, yeah, there's definitely like that's a running. Th- it's funny. I inter- interviewed this guy um, uh, from uh, Indonesia the other day who plays in this incredible, probably like, probably arguably one of one of the biggest hardcore bands in the world, but just because of they're just super popular in and around indonesia called Serenge. and he was telling me that they have to deal with all this cop shit all the time and and then you know i was interviewing uh you know some california punk dudes the other day and they're talking about how they had to deal with cops all the time back in the day and it's like wow that's a universal experience
2: yeah i mean i don't really even know i there's so much that needs to change obviously but um i don't even know the beginning of it just you know because i'm you know not i'm just like a white girl (laughs) basically (laughs) but so i really can't speak to any type of you know oppression in any way but um i can imagine what what someone that's doesn't look like me would have encountered if if they did what i did
1: yeah that's but. definitely worth noting as well and it's and it's uh yeah like you said there's there's like there's a lot that has to change
2: yeah sorry we ended this on a really sober note Not really feel free heavy. to edit this. Well, you're the one
1: who said let's talk about punk shit and i'm like oh wait i got a punk thing we can talk about but how oh, about a cab yeah. The real
2: podcast starts now.
1: Yeah, now now this thing becomes one of those dirtbag left podcasts immediately. Oh. Slips right into it.
2: Yeah, totally.
3: <laughs> Chapo here we come. Yeah. Um yeah, this this was great. I I you know, we loved talking to you. Um absolutely. Uh and you know, we, we probably should have showed it out like Dog Day or like you know, bands like that, I guess a little more, but whatever no mulligans you know
1: well that's for part two.
3: Oh yeah p2 save it for the
1: sequel you know there's got to be something left for the sequel that's
2: awesome yeah thanks damien thanks for having us
1: thank you alec and molly for coming on the show And you heard right there they will be back for a part two at some point in the future so check out blue rev And check them out on tour if you are in one of those places that they are coming to. And then check them out in the new year when they come on tour. Very sweet, sweet people. And uh, awesome to see what they've done, as I said many times in that episode. All right. On to the next one on the next episode of Turned Out a Punk. From the Eric Andre show, from the movie Bad Trip, and from the brand new book, Dumb Ideas, Dan Curry... And Eric Andre will be on the show. And it is a fun conversation that goes it goes nowhere at first and then goes deep. It goes deep by the end, but that it's, it's got a little bit of a bumpy takeoff. But you'll hear it on the next episode. And that is it for me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives and issues faced by indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights Stop hate and violence towards people of different races or different faiths because we're not talking about – this isn't political. This is just human rights stuff. People deserve to be able to live free from hate, violence, discrimination, and violence. So if there's organizations that are making positive change in your world around you, get involved. Donate your time. Donate your money. I'd also add to that like what you want to do with your reproductive system is a, a basic freedom issue too. So if there's organizations that are affecting change, get involved with them. Speaking about getting involved, get involved in punk. Anyone can do this stuff. Start a band, start a fanzine, start doing flyers, start anything. You know, build the community that you want to see. It gets better when you get involved. Speaking about things that get better when you get involved, donate your organs because without you donating them, there's no organs to be donated. And I've seen it perform miracles. I've seen it with my own eyes. And it's incredible to see it happen. Well, I wasn't in the room when it actually happened, happened. But like I saw the miracle that kind of came afterwards. Anyway, do it's on your organ donor cards and, uh, try meditating. A lot of people know about it. A lot of people have done it for thousands of years. I came to it a little bit later, but it changed my life and maybe it'll change yours too. You don't have to subscribe to anything or any ideology or any of that stuff. Just there's lots of different types of practice and and try one and find one that works for you. And that is it for me. Thank you for listening. and I'll see you on the next episode. Bye.